Several of my colleagues in the University of Manitoba's psychology department considered teaching to be a nuisance. The ineluctable evil, as Menno Wartkinton used to call it, resenting the time it took away from his research. But I loved it. Oh, maybe not as much as I loved bananas, or binge-watching old episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm or Arrested Development, or photographing globular clusters with my telescope. But as far as things that people would actually pay me to do are concerned, it was right up there. Granted, teaching first-year classes would be overwhelming. Vast halls filled with stagnant air and row after row of angst-soaked teenagers. Although my own freshman year had been two decades ago, I vividly remembered signing up to take introductory psych in hopes of making sense of the bewildering melange of anxiety and longing that swirled then and pretty much now, too, within me. Cogito ergo sum, more like solicito ergo sum, I fret, therefore I am. But on this gray morning, I was teaching the neuroscience of morality, a third-year class with fewer students than February had days, and that allowed for not just lecturing, but dialogue. Last session, we'd had a spirited discussion about Watson and Skinner, focusing on their notion that humans were nothing more than stimulus-response machines whose black-box brains simply spit out predictable reactions to inputs. But today, instead of continuing to demolish behaviorism, I felt compelled to take a dark detour, using the ceiling-mounted projector to show the Savannah prison photos WikiLeaks had made public over the weekend. Some were individual frames from security camera video, the guards caught unawares from on high. Although what those depicted was brutal, they weren't the most disturbing images. No. The really disquieting ones, the ones that nodded your stomach, that made you avert your eyes, that you just couldn't fucking believe, were the posed photos. The picture of the officer with her boot on a prisoner's back while she gave a jaunty thumbs up to whatever asshole was holding the iPhone. The still of the two uniformed men tossing a naked, emaciated prisoner so hard against the ceiling that his skull, as x-rays would later show, had fractured in three places. The snapshot of the mustachioed sergeant straddling a downed man while defecating on his chest. One hand clamped over the inmate's mouth, the other flashing a peace sign. The image then having been run through Instagram to make it look like an old-fashioned Polaroid, white frame and all. My stomach roiled as I stepped through the slides, one atrocity giving way to the next. It was now sixteen years after Abu Ghraib, for God's sake, and half a century since Philip Zambardo's Stanford prison experiment. Not only were guards supposed to be trained about situational pressures and how to avoid succumbing to them, But two of those shown in the photos were studying to be wardens. They knew about Zimbardo. They were aware of Stanley Milgram's shock machine obedience to authority experiments. They'd read summaries of the Taguba report on the Abu Ghraib atrocities. And yet, despite being specifically taught to recognize and avoid the pitfalls, a word that at first seemed innocuous, but if one reflected upon it, suggested tumbling into the abyss, following Lucifer into the very fires of hell. Each of these men and women had dehumanized the perceived enemy and, in the process, had lost their own humanity. All right, I said to the shocked faces of my students. What can we take from all this?
Anyone? The first hand that went up belonged to Ashton, who still had acne and hadn't yet learned that it was permissible to trim a beard. I pointed at him. Yes. He spread his arms as if the truth were self-evident. Simple, he said, as he flicked his head toward the screen behind me, which I'd left on the last slide, the one showing a gangly guard named Devin Becker killing a naked prisoner by holding his head underwater in a jail cell sink. You can't change human nature.